0: Welcome back to Now Screaming. I'm Liz Smart.
1: And I'm Evan Culbertson.
0: And welcome to a very special episode.
1: Exploring the work and career of one of the world's most notorious horror directors, M. Night Shyamalan. Possibly just notorious directors, full stop, right? Like, True. For many reasons. So we're back after a short hiatus post episode 100. Mm-hmm. We have left our beloved studio the and closet moved <laughs> to a new location.
0: Not in a closet, which means the sound for this one might be echoey.
1: We'll see. We're going to be testing out a couple different locations, locations. for recording mm-hmm. in our new location. So <laughs>
0: Location within a location. Very M. Night Shyamalan.
1: Our apologies if some of the sound, there's some extra background noise. A bit of a learning curve for these next few as we, we try some stuff out. But here we are to discuss M. Night Shyamalan. Which was brought on by the release of his new film, Old, in theaters. As we've been doing a lot post-COVID, encouraging our listeners to go back to theaters, especially to see horror movies, like did with Spiral, which spawned a Saw franchise Mm rewatch. The two of us realized that we didn't know Shyamalan's work as well as one might want to. So before we went to go see Old in theaters, which we encourage you to do Mm -hmm. as well, we went we went through the filmography.
0: Yeah, it was really surprising because I actually, I wouldn't have said that. If you'd asked me two weeks ago, do you, do you feel like you've seen Enmite Shyamalan's movies? I would have been like, yeah. And then I realized I went actually back in his IMDb and I had not seen an Enmite Shyamalan film since The Village. Yeah. Like I, but I would have never thought that. I thought I had a sense of him and it turns out I've seen three of his films. Like I blew my mind. So that's what we spent the last week doing.
1: Yeah, I think that to set the stage for this conversation of this very special episode, this is going to be an episode for people whose hearts are open to... <laughs> the magic of a <laughs> To his work. Yeah. Um, I will say for myself, I think that I understand the tendency to treat him and his work as a joke. A week ago, my knowledge of him was predicated entirely on The Sixth Sense, which is the only one that I had seen in full. And two decades of pop culture jokes, you know, the robot chicken bit, like all of this stuff about him being a hack, a hack, like who keeps giving this guy money, the racist jokes about his name, like the predilection for twists. And I have emerged the other side of this journey, really interested in him and his work. And so if you are looking for an hour of making fun of M. Night Shyamalan movies, This is not going to be bad. No, (laughs) we love him. Love him. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And again, I don't think either of us came in. Neither of us came in loving him. Maybe feeling mixed to positive. I
0: felt. I would actually say I felt mostly positive because he's made one of my favorite movies of all time. That we will get into. Like truly up there with my top ten films ever. But so I, I think I was I was positive to neutral on him. But of course, like everyone, I grew up making fun of him. Uh, for various reasons.
1: Yeah. And there are a lot of people, um, cinephiles and just weirdos, who have been on the Shyamalan train. Yeah. Absolutely. That is not us. No. We just got on at the last We just got on. The just got
0: on.
1: <laughs> and so this is going to be an examination of his work from recent converts. And I, I preface all this to say, if you are listening to this thinking, Oh, I don't know. am my Shyamalan's not really for me. That's what I thought a week ago. I thought that the journey through his work before seeing Old was going to be difficult and irritating and sitting through a bunch of bad movies. And
0: some of it was.
1: So, so much less of it than I thought. Right. Um, we're going to talk about the bad and we're going to talk about the good. Mm-hmm. But again, this is an episode for people whose hearts are open, whether you're, you've actively watched all his movies and are ready for us to tell you what is surprising about them, or if you don't know his work at all, we would encourage you to check it out. We're going to avoid um, some spoilers, but a lot of these movies have been out long enough that...
0: Yeah, like, if you don't know the end of The Sixth Sense, we gotta have a conversation. Where have you been? How's the rock you live under?
1: So just be aware. I don't think that any of these movies, and I feel this sincerely, other people disagree, I don't think that any of his movies are... Uh,
0: ruined by the twist.
1: Ruined by knowing the twisted advance. Agreed, completely. I knew the quote-unquote twist of several of these before this recent Shyamalanathon, so I don't think it's going to ruin your experience. But if you care a lot about that, when we mention a movie, you might want to skip ahead a couple minutes. Yeah, we're going to talk about Old, which again is in theaters, and again we do encourage you to see. We will avoid the 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 big
0: the big old twist.
1: I wouldn't even say that they're yeah sure. Uh, we're gonna not gonna go into details about any of these movies. We're not gonna be able to talk about his entire filmography... without it taking twelve hours if we did. Right. Um but again when we get to old we'll also skip that if you're gonna go see it, which again, we think you should. Should we talk a little bit about Knight's movies? Uh I had already said I'd only seen The Sixth Sense. Mm-hmm. Um a movie that I quite enjoyed. I, I have always thought it was a good movie. I would say that my again, setting all the like the racism and the just jokes about like again the thing people say is like, how does this guy keep getting opportunities after he makes such bad movies? Well, for one, the answer is his movies make money. Yeah. We looked at this early on in our Shaw a and realized that uh, all of his films have made their, their, their budget back. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes, you know, there's a big, splashy potential franchise that doesn't quite get off the ground. Yes. And they have not all been critically beloved. In fact, almost all of them have been critically reviled.
0: Right. But, but they bring in the bus in the seats. Yeah, people go.
1: So if you've ever wondered to yourself why, that's why. It's because one, M Night Shyamalan is a household name, and for for your name to be M Night Shyamalan and to be a household name, that's a hell of an achievement in and of itself. Agreed. Uh, and two, it's that he 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 makes money. Mm-hmm. So
0: maybe part in part because of the controversy, right? I think that there's like there's they there are people who get money for their movies because it's like even if people don't like them, people are gonna go to be like, I saw the new M Night and it sucked
1: and he's been self-funding and um in recent years he's had a partnership with Blumhouse mm-hmm. but since his block big blockbusters he's been self-funding a lot what was your your before this past week what was your M Night experience again maybe without going into too much detail about sure. how you feel about the films right cuz
0: we'll we'll get into them later um I, like i said i was a loving loving to neutral because when i remembered how much i love the sixth sense which is one of my favorite movies of all time i think one of the things that always like really touched me about it was that it was very scary, frightened me a lot as a child, but also makes me cry. Like absolutely every single time I cry. And that felt unique to me for a horror movie. I know it's not, I know there's other horror movies that have made me cry, but that always felt like, wow, this movie gets a bad rap for just being like about ghosts when it has one of the most touching scenes I've seen in any movie, you know, horror notwithstanding. Uh, also, I'm from Philadelphia and Mike Shyamalan is a Philadelphian. He makes most of his movies in Philadelphia. Um, and they are they are extremely of the area. Um, yeah. not, and not even just the city. The city, the farmland, the suburbs uh, surrounding Philadelphia. So this is like being in his filmmaking space feels like coming home to me in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So I think even before this, I, I, I had an affection for him because I was like, Sixth Sense, Philadelphia, bringing me home. We love it. But I think I, what I didn't understand is that he is an auteur. I thought it was just like you know there are just a, a dime a dozen dumb horror movies that come out every year. They're they're stupid. They're soulless. I thought he was one of those. I thought it was just like oh you know he's putting out some jump scares being spooky uh which i will go see those movies in theaters like i don't have a problem with them really
1: and specifically twists i would say that yes like, yes the interpretation is is the is the guy who makes movies with twists and
0: i sort of thought to myself i don't know if i still think this it's complicated but i sort of thought that he was responsible for that i was like oh it's m knight's fault that i will go into some random horror movie and it will have a really stupid twist that was unnecessary and didn't mean anything because he like popularized twists in horror movies i don't know if that's true that's just what i thought to myself
1: yeah a couple things i want to talk about up front like before we get into the thing we're doing in this episode is that i i really think that the twist thing is overstated because of the prominence of the sixth sense which is where we're starting i agree completely um again that movie was such an immense hit. He was nominated for Best Director. It was nominated for Best Picture.
0: Tony Club was nominated for Best Actress, yes. Uh,
1: So was Haley Joel Osment was Best Supporting. Um, So like, I, it wasn't just a box office hit. It was also a critical hit. Audiences Mm -hmm. loved it. The word of mouth, again, the fact that everyone knows the twist of that film, I think had an outsized...
0: It created like a club, I feel like. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember, I have so many stories that my, even my mom has told me about what it was like being an adult when that movie came out, this feeling of like, have you seen it? Have you seen it? Like that's, that's very, it's a really unique film experience to be like, you are creating those have se- who have seen, those who know and yeah. those who don't know. And that's a really
1: huge accomplishment. Yeah. But I would, I would say that his next prominent film that has a twist would be The Village. Yes. Honestly, I don't think Unbreakable and, and Signs science science, really do. No. People like to apply that label retroactively. And again, his next couple after that don't really have twists. No. So I think that that reputation is so oversized. Again, partially because of the robot chicken thing that we don't have to get into, but like late night talk show like jokes. Like
0: there's a college humor skit I watched like a hundred times that I thought was hysterically funny um, about him. About like the the big punchline was your career's been dead the whole time. Which again, now again, now looking, it's like no, it what.
1: What a weird,
0: just very, very strange pop culture conversations happening.
1: So uh, yeah, I just wanted to say that before we get in. Um, I think the other thing we need to talk about is that his movies are not for people who really need realism in plots and characters and performances. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a a heightened, hyper-real weirdness to his films that I think a lot of people bounce off of hard. And I kind of get that, especially for mainstream audiences. I get it. That his characters, some of his dialogue is a little stilted in a way that I really admire. Again, you said about him being like an auteur, like, it is consistent, it is intentional, it is kind of just the realities he creates. Um, the thing mm-hmm. that's come up a lot in the online film Twitter sphere is talking about him and David Lynch, who also mm-hmm. intentionally has stilted dialogue and weird wooden performances and creates these worlds that are like not based in reality, even if they right. take place in our world. And we don't, we, I actually don't want to spend too much time on this, but like I would say that that's a closer analog than. I think the Sixth Sense, which uh, a lot of people have maybe only seen, and a movie that I think does have a mainstream sensibility. Most of his films,
0: I think, is much more in
1: realism. Yeah, but I think most of his films films. are are departing from that on purpose. I agree. And so, if you end up listening to this episode and screaming at your you know phone or whatever, like, (laughs) how are you guys not talking about how weird X performance is or like this line of dialogue that I hated? That stuff really, especially in twenty twenty one. I am more interested in the films that make huge, bold swings and are doing something aesthetically or stylistically strange. That appeals to me more than it uh, rebuffs me. So yeah. I understand that that's not true of all our listeners. And
0: I just, I mean, honestly, for me, I, I don't know that I disagree, but I, I weirdly love the dialogue. Almost, I looked at all my reviews for all of his movies last night. I was like, I hadn't done them all at once, right? Yeah. So I was like after, after every time we watched it, wrote a couple sentences. The Shyamalanathon
1: was like over the course of a week.
0: It, but it was intense. And I looked at all my reviews and for half of them, i written a quote. Yeah. And I, so I like something about the dialogue. I've seen a lot of people be like, oh, it's so stilted. It's so weird. I don't know what it is. I love it. I love it. I love, maybe I really love heavy-handed metaphors, but like the quotes from the Sixth have always been my favorite. Yeah. quotes from The Village, unbelievable. And some quotes from old I've been thinking about for 24 hours. Like, genuinely, I really like it. Yeah, I think. <laughs> so, even- and, I th- and I think he pulls some actually really natural performances from some people. So maybe that's also part of the reason it might be strange for people is that some performances are very Lynchian. And some are like, I know that person. I've met that person. I hung up with that person yesterday. Like, there's a dichotomy there that I think is challenging for some people.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think that even people who think that he's a gifted technical filmmaker – which I definitely do, and it's going to be hard for us to convey on this audio medium. Yeah. But uh, the thing that I was most floored by is that I adore his camera work. I think he, he is, is such a style, incredibly talented. Again, to your point, I thought that he was just like a studio hand. Yeah, I had no idea that he had such He's craft.
0: Like he has, he, uh, there's a thread through all of his films. This common like
1: thematically uh, and visually. And visually,
0: I love it. Oh my god!
1: I think let's just jump in.
0: Well, I do. I want to say one caveat before we start. Sure. Because this is important to me, and I, this is another criticism I've seen levied at him a lot that I agree with, and I think the question is whether or not that like ruins him as a filmmaker or makes his movies unwatchable, and that is his relationship with mental illness. I think that it is, um, <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> it's, in terms of representation, it's actively bad. In terms of theme, and McSham is very, very, very interested in the violence of mentally ill people. The violence, the the
1: I would say, and disability, kind of broadly.
0: Yes, and so and, and turning that into horror and the pe- and them being angry at, at what's happening to them or or whatever, any of those things. And I think that, like I said, representation wise, I understand that that's bad. I agree with that it's bad because. With things like DID or schizophrenia or... um,
1: Developmental disabilities. Any developmental
0: disorders. Like, they are not violent. Those people are not violent. They are, like... Like anyone else. And so, I understand the frustration to be like, why do you consistently make these characters who are angry and violent? And I... And I I think that in a vacuum, I want to understand what he's trying to do, like what he's trying to explore, because I also think in a lot of instances, he approaches it with a lot of empathy. Like yeah. all of these characters are people. They feel very fleshed out and real and we feel their pain. And I don't, so I don't want to dismiss it completely by saying like, it's that's complex. just terrible and it evil is, and he hates mentally ill people. It is complex.
1: And I think that it's, wor- it, you're right to acknowledge it up front. Yeah. That... We're not going to spend a lot of time the rest of the episode talking about that because, I mean, that could be
0: a its, own, yeah, it's own yeah. thing.
1: Um, but, but it's he, important
0: to acknowledge. I want
1: to acknowledge also that he didn't invent those tropes of mining disability Of course core. not. Of course he's, not. He's operating in a tradition... We've talked about it before. That, that does not absolve him. But I wanted to just, like...
0: But I think what's what I what I wanted to say specifically is that I think that it's, it comes from his particular fascination that he's trying to explore, not just stick an evil mentally ill person mm-hmm. in a movie for drama. Like, I think that what he is doing because he's trying to explore them as people and as people who are capable of atrocities yeah. is part of, again, the exploration, not just being like, oh, the twist is that they're evil because they're mentally ill. Like, that's not, it's not as simple as that in any circumstance. So... Yeah. It's just, but it's just very complicated. I want to acknowledge it.
1: So now, the rest of this episode, we are going to walk through out, the outcome of our Shyamalanathon. Yeah. yeah. So we're going to rank all of his uh, prominent films. So it's worth acknowledging that before The Sixth Sense, he made two films. One, uh, Praying with Anger, uh, he stars in. It was his NYU student film. And then after that, he made a, a children's movie called Wide Awake about a young boy struggling with his faith in God. Hmm. Um, By most accounts, neither of those films are particularly good. Uh, More importantly, they are not M. Night Shyamalan as auteur-like brand. Mm -hmm. Um, Neither of them are horror movies, and this is a horror podcast for one. But also, like, it's when Sixth Sense is the transition from Uh, films made by M. Night Shyamalan to M. Night Shyamalan films. Yes. And I think that starting at The Sixth Sense to to Old is our span uh, of films that he directed and in most cases wrote, produced, and directed. So not films that he just wrote or produced like Devil or Stuart Little, which he (laughs) wrote. Uh, So wild. So we have got 12 films. We are going to go through them in order of... Uh, least the best. How much we liked them. Yeah. I was going to say in order of quality, but I guess that that's... That's
0: not, that's not how my list is. <laughs>
1: uh, how much we liked them. Yeah. So... Let's start with number 12. Number 12. I believe we have the same... Agreed. I, it's, oh, we should also say, we have not seen each other's lists. No, we don't know. We've obviously talked about... I Jean think Blanc, that they're going
0: to have the same kind of like bottom four, middle four, top four, maybe... With a, maybe some changes there, but I think for the most part, we agreed on most of them.
1: I'm very interested in seeing this because, again, we, the listener is learning about this as we're learning this about each other. Yeah. I think the worst film, the worst M.I. Chablon film is After Earth. Yes, it's
0: my bottom. Number 12,
1: After Earth. The 2013 blockbuster starring Will and Jaden Smith. Just, it's a sci-fi movie. It's so bad. And <laughs> I, I think that the main things that it has going for it is that... In the context of watching 12 Shyamalan movies in a week, you can see where his ideas and his themes are poking through. And I don't want to talk about those in the context of this movie. No. But really, it's, it's just really boring. It's the, extremely boring. The performances are especially bad. Uh, I'm sure that a lot of people are surprised that this is our bottom. <laughs> uh, and not the other one. <laughs> yeah. But I think that there's just very little redeeming about this. Um,
0: I think it's just ultimately extremely forgettable. And I think that it's um, the only thing you can probably say for it at all is that like a lot of sci-fi films have a unique premise because it's like, oh, how did all of Earth die? Or how did like, why are we on this other planet? Like there's there's a lot of lore there that you can kind of play with. And this just doesn't really do that. It's very boring about lore and very uninteresting with technology. And it's just not really doing... Very
1: much at all, and it's really a two hander. It's just Jaden and Will, yeah. And Jaden is terrible, and Will is playing really hard against type as this hard ass military dad, and it's just not what you want from Will Smith. No, it just does not work.
0: There's also some things that I think that were kind of the bold swings, like the um, they all have an an accent that it does not exist um in the world. It's like a combination sort of Jamaican. American,
1: mid-Atlantic, mid-Atlantic
0: like, sort of thing. That so it because just, it's
1: like post-earth. Yes, so. So,
0: but it sounds like they're all just doing a bad Jamaican accent, and so I'm like, "That's cool that you tried to invent an accent for this, but it it, it doesn't work. It just sounds so weird." And like thematically, the end is so stupid to me. Not there's not there's not a, a twist or anything, but like the 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 father and son dynamic is so stupid at the end it just like made me mad it actually like it was boring and then by the end i was like wait a second this is supposed to be about softening will smith and making him like loving to his son and then that didn't happen and i was like what why did i sit through this very very stupid you also told me off off uh mike that um will smith originally wanted this to be more of like just a like in alaska kind of story like just kind of in the barren wasteland of actual earth and I think that one of would have one been kind of interesting, and two would have lent itself more to some M night like proclivities. I think that, it would have made
1: the action and um, tension work a lot better, rather than the CGI nonsense that it is. Yes, and, and again,
0: like we I, like I said, the the sci fi lore that you kind of want out of this movie that doesn't exist. If it was just on Earth and was just humans, then I just feel like M nights like the things that he does in movies could have really shown through this isolation that he always does in movies. Like a lot of the things he does would have really come through and it might have actually been a good movie. (laughs) So unfortunate.
1: Right. Number 11.
0: Uh, The Last Airbender. I assume that's yours as well.
1: Yes. Yeah. 2010s adaptation of the Nickelodeon series.
0: One of the most reviled movies of all time. Yeah.
1: I I think this is widely considered one of the worst movies ever made. I don't, Want to spend as much time on this as I probably could or we could. Yeah. One, we right about it, forever. it has been dunked on extensively elsewhere. I think this is a better movie than After Earth. And I think that my reaction to seeing this was: I think everyone who thinks this is the worst movie we've ever made needs to like grow up. Because yeah. I just it's bad. Well, we should it th- is bad, absolutely. I think it's really important context that neither of
0: us are Atla fans or have even watched it. So like we're just not approaching this like the like I would say a lot of people who really hate this movie.
1: And I don't care about Avatar the Last Barrett Bender. It's like it's not about it's not that I dislike it. It's that you have to evaluate this movie beyond its success or failure as an adaptation of something you love. I completely agree. I am not really defending this movie. This is a bad movie.
0: Also pretty boring. I'd say it's that's very, one of the worst boring. crimes, is that it's very boring.
1: I don't like YA fantasy, period. There's no world in which I w- a good version of this I would have liked. Right,
0: you wouldn't like this if it was good, yeah. It's
1: just not for me. Mm-hmm. It is quite bad. However, the thing that I will go to bat for is that, by all accounts, it's not M. Knight's fault that it's bad. And again, you can find this covered extensively elsewhere. Mm-hmm. The producers did a very bad job with this. It seems like Knight is the only person who had seen the show and did care about the source material <laughs> yeah. and was totally overridden by a, a need to like, cut costs or to... Right, they
0: started filming it on location, I think, and then they ended up doing it in a, a soundstage in Philadelphia. In Philadelphia,
1: so because like, it was just cheaper.
0: Yeah. And, like, I think that the Dev Patel casting is incredible. Dev I think Patel rocks. Like, Dev Patel's the best. We all know that, and I don't think anyone would disagree with that. And it was almost Jesse McCartney. So I think some people need to be happy with what we got. Like, that could have been one of the worst castings of all time. And instead, it's like, it's a good casting in a pretty bad movie.
1: And I don't really want to wade into um, the debate, the the race debate here mm-hmm. of making the villains sort of generically brown. And, I think and,
0: and making the protagonists white, which I think is the bigger problem. I
1: think coming into this in 2021 is different than the way people approached it in 2010. And so I do understand that a lot of people haven't revisited this. But I think that the Fire Nation, which is Dev Patel and Sean Tube and Asif Madhvi... Like, are the most interesting part of the movie yeah, there's I just like want a, that movie. There's a um Marvel's Thor esque like sort of palace intrigue, like fathers and sons legacy thing, Uncles, like, yeah. subplot going there. Mm-hmm. It is not well executed. But whenever that was happening, that was a movie I wanted to watch.
0: Well yeah, because I was like, stop showing me this like really generic white girl and her bad acting.
1: And frankly, the the complexities of the politics of the villainy and the um oppressors is more interesting to me when it's like when it's an evil like Pakistani man sitting on a throne like I think the optics of that are more interesting from a storytelling perspective uh I understand why maybe people who don't want to think about it very hard see bad guys brown good guys white that's racist well also as
0: you said it's YA so this isn't necessarily the movie to explore those kinds of complicated race relations this is for children
1: you're right but I think that there's I think that there's something there. And I think that the three actors I just named, Dev, Sean, and uh, Asif, like give the best performances in the movie. Absolutely. And like, I love them doing villainy shit. I love like Asif well, Manvi, like they have giving own, these monologues. Right. They
0: have their own interpersonal stuff that's more interesting than these children who are like, we have the Messiah, yay. Like, it's just not, this is why none of us are also really interested in Atla. Yeah. I think like, I think there's just... Yeah, it's it's we were I don't think we were ever gonna be huge fans no. of this. It is bad, but it's certainly not one of the worst movies ever made, which is its reputation.
1: Yeah, I would just say the only thing I would say in defense of this is one, uh, if you hate this, which you are totally entitled to, don't blame Shyamalan. Um he unless tried. unless you've done more research than me and you have other thoughts, but based on what I've read, don't blame Shyamalan. He gave up on this cause it was taken away from him and kind of ended up cashing the paycheck. Uh but has disowned it. Yeah. Disowned this and After Earth as
0: films. Very unhappy with his relationship to them and how the production ended up going.
1: Yeah. So just don't take it out on on night. Sure, listener, you're not doing a Shyamalan career retrospective and therefore don't have to think about his themes and uh, sort of the complexities of this like we are because this has a lot of Shyamalan DNA in it. He did write it, granted, but this is not the worst movie ever made. It's not the worst movie he made in a three-year span.
0: No, we've watched uh, about 20 worst movies on this podcast. Like Maybe I would more. Say, maybe
1: more. <laughs> uh, so just, you know, like, scorned Atla fans aside, like, this sucks. The two movies he made that don't take place in Pennsylvania are his worst. So I think that speaks to something yeah. true and and inherent about Shyamalan's work. Correct. I agree. Number 10, for me, is The Happening. It is also my number 10. So 2008's The Happening, starring Zoe Deschanel and Mark Wahlberg.
0: Um, I think this is the last bad one for me. I don't know if that's in terms true. of the ranking. In terms of the ranking, this is the last one that I want to actively kind of like dunk on. Interesting. Uh, I don't think it's good. I this one also had a really bad reputation for me going in. I remember when it was, um, filmed and came out because I think at that point people were still excited for Met Shyamalan. Like I remember being in high school and being like, people were excited to go see it, and then it was. In people's minds of failure. I, I never think saw it. This is
1: where his reputation really tapered off. Yeah. We'll talk about like, it started getting shaky pretty yeah. early. Again, yeah. he had this great success. And then I think the, if you ask anyone on the street, I think everyone in general is disappointed by everything after Six Sense, right? Yes. <laughs> so like...
0: <laughs> but I think that people had a really, like, there was excitement for this. And then... Whether it was, I know that a lot of people walked out of it being like, what a dumb twist. And that was what I heard from it. And people were like, don't see it. The twist is so dumb. And that was like, that was it for me. I was like, okay, I won't. And I think that that's both true and untrue. I think that it's more complicated than the reputation that it got. But I also agree that it's not good.
1: I concur. I think that the, this is a theme clearly with all these like lower tier Shyamalan movies is that they're not as bad as the reputation perhaps. Yes. Um... I think this is an interesting failure. I think... I agree. Once again, it benefits from watching as part of his filmography because you see his craft that goes into it. Mm -hmm. I don't like this movie, but I I like some things about it. Me
0: too. I was actually going to say, I think that more than anything, it has a couple moments that floored me in terms of like the courage of a filmmaker to do something that the audience is going to hate you for and think is too much or too far or uh, up the stakes of the movie in a way that like, whenever that happens, especially in horror, I'm like, oh, you went for it. You decided that our comfort as an audience was not important here. And I think that that's always really interesting.
1: Yeah, I think for me, this boils down to what I want to say about The Happening. It boils down to two things. Uh, What works best about it is... One, I think that it's it's funny when it wants to be. Um, mm-hmm. Mark Wahlberg talking to a plastic plant, I think is funny, <laughs> and I think it's funny on purpose. And I think people it is funny
0: on people point
1: and laugh at it, like, "Look at this incompetent filmmaker who like thinks he's doing something dramatic here." No, Chamon's funny. Don't and people funny. know he's funny. I don't understand. He's so he's very funny. Funny, and the so it's funny, and also. This is the only R-rated film of his career, shockingly. Mm-hmm. And I think the violence in it is legitimately horrifying. It's there are images awful. he crafts here, and some of those what you were, I know you were alluding to, but we don't have to talk about, that I think that are genuinely, viscerally upsetting as a horror film. Mm-hmm. And he proves that he is still extremely effective at doing that. Yes. Uh, even when, the other thing I want to say, is that the reason that it doesn't work is because the emotions don't work.
0: Yes. Zoe Deschanel is just... So I awful. think
1: the Deschanel performance so is really, really bad. One of
0: the worst of his entire filmography.
1: The Wahlberg performance isn't good, but it's... Um, it's,
0: in his, it's in his thing. It's in his wheelhouse of yeah. these
1: stoic men uh, reacting uh, in confusion to upheaval. Yeah. That's kind of a, a theme throughout his work.
0: And like trying to be leaders, but not have, struggling with that. The, the burden of leadership. The burden and, of leadership yeah, is, yeah. is
1: definitely like a, a theme. And I think Wahlberg wears that... Decently well, perhaps not exceptionally. Zoey Deschanel is awful. She to me seems like she doesn't want to be there. No slash. She's just not up to the emotional stakes of it. And I would say up to this point uh, in in Shyamalan's career, the emotions work. Yes, every time. Absolutely. And we'll get higher on the list and we'll talk about those movies. Even if other things don't work, the emotions work. But yes, this was and a
0: drop here, off in that.
1: It just falls apart. I don't believe these characters love. I don't buy the stakes. Other than the really chilling, haunting images that Knight and has created. Like,
0: it's so sad that it's not a better movie in the emotional aspect. Yeah. Because, like, as I was watching it, I was so struck by how frightening this is. Um, especially, again, coming off of his past films of, like, ghosts and aliens and, like, really kind of classic um, horror movie villains. That this is, like... They're not running from a man with a knife. So or can we talk about that? a group. Like, it's so... It's really scary to be running from air, yeah. earth, the world so, around you.
1: I want to talk about that. So uh, we're going to spoil that happening, I guess. This is the kind of movie It's not that, a twist,
0: by the way. Would say, not a twist. I don't think it it's is the. It happens in the middle. It is like the premise of the film, almost.
1: Yeah, I find it very frustrating that people characterize this as a twist. The thing I want to say is that this is a movie that um, kind of like... The Last Airbender, people want to point and laugh at, and like this is a kind of like oh let's you know it's just like the the cinema sins riff tracks uh, not to equate those things that's not really fair but like just like let's just make fun of this bad thing like let's put this on at a party and laugh at it yeah um, I think that if your criticism of a film can only extend to describing the plot of the film as if it is self evident that that's stupid that's not real criticism no this movie is about plants responding to humans by unleash, unleashing like a uh, tox poison yeah. that causes them to commit suicide. And if you're like, oh yeah, haha, <laughs> you know what's Pl- stupid? Kill Plants making people commit suicide. Like you're, you're uncurious. Like yeah. you, you you have every right to be, but movies like this aren't for you. If you don't have the imagination that the, the idea they- of a plant killing someone bothers you, like that's it. like live your life, watch the movies you like. Yeah. But like, I cannot relate to being turned off by that. That is interesting. It might not work again. I think this movie is a failure. Also, because
0: it's just like it's not about plants like strangling you with their leafed hands. Like even if it was, like sure, but like it's about climate change. Like why this need again with with all of this with all of M X movies, Why this need to be like? It's so stupid. Plants kill people. Um, again, absolutely horrifying, haunting. That you, one, when it first starts happening, and there's just people dropping off buildings. The way, actually, um, that they start kind of saying nonsense first, absolutely, I might just got chills saying that out loud. Like, it's so scary, these scenes where everybody just stops moving and somebody's looking around like, oh no. So then the people hiding in their houses, you know, in their bathtubs with the windows closed, but then there's people who've already been who've left their homes who are just running from air it's really so there's scary there's a sequence
1: in this that pe- i know people make fun of where uh the threat in pursuit the thing that they're afraid of is is demonstrated by like wind blowing through tall grass mm-hmm. and people make fun of this they're like this is so stupid like what i think i found it chilling it's i so think chilling. it's extremely effective and again you can like the movies you want to like if you are coming in looking to to like dunk dunk on this movie just because of a one sentence plot description like again it is fundamentally uncurious it it to me just means that this isn't the kind of thing that is for you because again i think that it's really really effectively done when you meet it on its terms when you accept it on its level again this is not a movie i like yeah i think that the hatred for this movie is so overstated.
0: Yeah, it's overblown.
1: And this is a movie that I can see myself revisiting later and finding more to like it. I will
0: say, I think some people uh, revisiting it in 2020 and 2021 had a really interesting uh, experience with that. Yeah. Because um, this gets into spoiler territory, so skip ahead a little bit if you're really interested in, not the twist, but just the ending There's of no this twist. movie. There's no twist. But um, this idea of like, I am I don't care. I'm going to go outside and I'm going to be with the person that I love. Um, and the, and the plants can kill me if they're going to, the air can kill me if it's going to, but like, I can't die alone. Um, is like very
1: COVID relevant, COVID
0: relevant, like just very relevant for this feeling we've all had of like be, staying inside and like, you know, isolating. And like, that's, this is, this is part of the M. Night Shyamalan oeuvre because it is about that. It's about isolation and community and, there's a whole aspect of this movie that's like people can't travel in large groups and that's so scary.
1: I can tell you're getting choked up. Like, I know. I am really this.
0: like getting emotional.
1: And again, I think that it, it there's a core of something here that works. Yeah. And I think with a few script tweaks and better performances at the center of it, it could be great. I really yeah, think. I yeah,
0: completely, I completely agree. If we bought into their relationship, yes. I would have wept at the end. Absolutely. Although this is also potentially the first M. Night movie where he really fails at ending it. Yeah. He has, it, uh, when we start getting up to the the, the early ones. Um,
1: well, don't, don't, yeah, yeah. Sure. But
0: he uh, overextends this ending a little bit in a way that also disappointed me.
1: Yeah.
0: My number nine is Glass.
1: It is also my number oh my nine. God. <laughs> <laughs> so Glass is the 2019, and this is a bit hard to talk about. The 2019 uh, sequel slash merger of two prior Shyamalan films, uh, 2000's Unbreakable and 2016's Split. Yeah, so it's a
0: direct sequel to Split, but brings in it, it basically makes Split part of the Unbreakable franchise. It's hard to talk about.
1: It's hard to talk about, and I actually don't want to spend that much time talking about it. Because I think that those other two movies are going to end up getting a lot more conversation. Agreed. This was the most recent Shyamalan movie before Old came out two weeks ago. It's fine. It's fine. I, I think it's that, like, yeah, we don't have a lot to say. Because I think that it it fails those two prior movies because it's trying to synthesize them. And I think it loses something in in translating it and, and combining them. Yeah. Um, there's emotional things in here that really work for me. I, I actually
0: The ending works it has really, a great ending, really well for me.
1: Like, oh I my god. A lot of its themes are carryovers from two movies that I like more. Yeah. uh, And it just reminded me of that.
0: Yeah. Now I'm actually, I wonder if I like this more than the happening now that I say that. I thought I did, but now I'm wondering if it's just, again, it's, it's leftover feelings from Unbreakable and Split. Yeah. I mean,
1: that's a little bit how I I feel. I to
0: rethink this one.
1: That's interesting. Um,
0: I did this last night. I already have (laughs) corrections, notes. (laughs)
1: I think the filmmaking in this just to the filmmaking this is really good. Uh, a lot of his best formal work in terms of stuff we'll continue to talk about, which is like long shots, frames within frames, mm-hmm. uh, really letting performances shine without using a lot of cuts. Yeah, stuff in this that I really, really appreciate that I don't think had been as true of his previous couple films. So coming to this, I think this is a bit of a. Um, A re... Stylistic, like, return to form. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's doing that on purpose. I think that... uh, Because
0: it's calling back to Unbreakable, Absolutely.
1: It's calling back to his early work. And I think it does so really effectively. Ultimately, I don't think this film is that interesting. And I think it's really, really, really heavy-handed, even by Shyamalan's terms. Yes. I think that it indulges his worst impulses to be um, too blunt and to over-explain himself. Where I think that sometimes he shows enough restraint... To really let his um, straightforwardness shine. Mm-hmm. And I think that this just doesn't all come together. This is not a bad movie. I liked this movie. I liked it. I liked, I liked
0: all of it that I was watching. Uh, Every moment I was watching it, I was enjoying myself.
1: But unfortunately, I think that it comes in at number nine on this list, just by virtue of liking these other ones more. And again, yeah. we're going to talk about this a little bit more as we get further in. Yep. Number eight? What's My number, number eight, eight is The Visit.
0: Oh, mine is old. Interesting. What do you want to talk about?
1: I'll talk about The Visit briefly, and I think we'll we'll look back sure. to it, because I'm curious where it ends up for you. Mm-hmm. So The Visit is 2015. This is after The Last Airbender and after Earth, and his, his return to horror. Yes. He partnered with Blumhouse, who he also worked with on Split and Glass, uh, and Old, I think. Yes. Yeah, so he's now a Blumhouse filmmaker. Um, it is a found footage horror movie about a couple kids going to visit their grandparents. Mm-hmm. I liked it. I liked it. Um, I think it's so
0: exciting that we have a a found footage M. Night movie. I didn't know that it was going to be found footage when it started. And this was like, again, the excitement of watching a bunch of M. Night movies, horror movies, watching two unbelievably bad and stupid (laughs) thriller kind of, not thriller, like uh, not thrillers, not horror, like fantasy, I don't even know, sci-fi movies. Um, Coming back to this and having it be like, oh my God, M. Night is about to like, Meta commentary himself, yeah, because he's the 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 main character, the girl who is making a movie. she is an amateur filmmaker she's yeah. she's thinking about film, not like some film footage, which I also love where someone's just sort of like, haha, I'm gonna film some stuff, and it's gonna be funny, um that she's like, I'm making a film about visiting my grandparents in order to like give my mother closure on something yeah and so it's it's so. It just—it's a comment on how he thinks about filmmaking, yeah. and I just love that so much.
1: I would like to say this is the film I want to spend the least time talking about, not because of how much I like it, but because I think that it is overlooked. It is a minuscule budget. It is a horror movie that came after some really high-profile failures and before some pretty high-profile successes and, and things of interest in Splitting mm-hmm. Glass. Uh, I think that this is totally in the wheelhouse of Now Screaming. If you yes. are a listener of this podcast and you like horror movies and and recent horror movies and found footage, I want everyone to go watch this movie. I don't yeah. want to talk about the plot really at all. I think this is my number one, if I'm saying go see this thing that you might not have been aware of, it's The Visit from this whole list. I think yeah. that it is totally in our wheelhouse. Go watch The Visit. It's it's good. Yeah. And it's placed on my list. It's clearly lower than on yours. Um, this and the next two, honestly, are completely interchangeable for me. I think we'll... we'll Oh, we're
0: just in kind of the middle... Yeah. You can kind of move around that. I don't stuff. like this yeah. movie
1: much less than the next two entries on my list. Yeah. And I like it quite a bit. I think it might be his scariest movie. It's at least a contender for it. Interesting. Um, okay. So I actually want to stop talking about it and just say, like, go see this. Sure. Uh, it's really interesting, and it's very... It's simultaneously very different from... Uh, a lot of his other work. And right. it's... But so, still in the wheelhouse. So many still of Still in his
0: his themes.
1: Themes and interests. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so let's talk about Old. Old just came out.
0: Yeah, we saw it last night.
1: Yes. As of um, recording
0: this. Th- yeah, it's, it's my number eight. I think because I really just genuinely liked everything else on my list more. It actually yeah. does not come from a place of disliking it. I really enjoyed it. I kind of went in thinking I was going to dislike it. I yeah. thought th- e- with even with all of my M. Night Love, I've been feeling... The way people were talking about it online and just the vibe, I was like, I don't know if I'm gonna like this, um, but I really, really enjoyed it. I think it's the same kind of thing. It's in the world of Shyamalan that I love to yeah. live in, of the way he writes relationships. This totally like n- unreal sort of experience, and oh my god, the way it's filmed, it's yeah. fascinating. What's it's so, it's so the opposite of what I thought, like I said, what I thought of him before, where it was like, these are just, these are just Blumhouse movies, right? This is just Blumhouse churning out Fantasy Island shit. Yeah. Like, that's what I thought. And I was so wrong. I think filmmaking is unbelievably strange and brilliant.
1: I would say, and part of the reason this is higher on my list than yours, I think, is that, um, I think this might be his boldest, from a pure Filmmaking, filmmaking perspective, camera work perspective. I think this might be his boldest swing. I agree, and I really love, especially in twenty twenty one. And we don't have to get into a whole state of movies thing, but like (laughs) walking into a theater and being like, "Holy shit, what the hell is this filmmaker doing?" Doing, yeah. These are not choices that allow you to sit back and um, experience the story, the plot, and the characters of a film without thinking about the craft. Yeah. It demands your attention be paid to the way that he swings a camera, the way that he'll he'll do a long shot and move in and out of things and and set up it different situations.
0: Zooms on on nothing, like in a way that I was just fascinated and by like we're just looking at the sky again
1: it's calling the the viewers attention to it yeah it's forcing you it's breaking you out of the being lulled along by the plot developments and yeah. say look at this thing that i'm doing and i think that i just on a fundamental level respect that so much right. i'm so drawn to whether it. or not
0: it works or whether not. Not
1: it works for me i love that and especially in 2021 when i think so many blockbusters look so samey there's uh especially in like big summer movies. Because you're not supposed to think about the camera. You're never yeah. supposed
0: to think about the camera and M. Night Shyamalan wants you to think about the camera. Where is it? What is it looking at? And that is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I also want to say that I love this movie because I love a heavy-handed metaphor. I don't give a shit. I think there's a lot of people who would complain and be like, oh my god, that line. is So there's like a line in the very beginning when um, the little girl is singing and the mother is like, I can't wait to hear your voice when you're older. And if you know what the movie is about, you're like, oh my god. You should know
1: by now. It's about a beach that makes you
0: old. We've all seen the memes, right? Like, you know the memes. And I think the memes are very funny. But I think there's like this whole thing of like the conflict between the main the, the main characters is so rooted in like you know being old and being young and there's there's lines of dialogue that are so heavy about childhood and adulthood and growing yeah. up and i don't care i love that shit so much i love it it is playing with themes that i personally am very very excited and interested by mm-hmm. so like i don't give a shit love it Like, heavy-handed metaphors, hand me another. I love it so much.
1: I don't want to talk about the ending, because I want people to go see this in theaters. Go see it in theaters. Uh, Not my favorite Shyamalan ending. I think, once again, I think that earlier in his career, he was the best at ending a movie, maybe, of all time. Uh, And I I think that this ending suffers a little bit, but I'm not going to judge it based on that. Again, we're not even to it on my list. I think the only other thing I'm going to mention here is that it is on location on a beach, but it is one of his most theatrical works and i think he tends to stage scenes and conversations very theatrically again he uses a lot of long takes that allow actors to really live in their performance yeah Uh, i think this does a ton of that it's just people on a beach talking for the most part yeah and it that aspect of it really really worked for me and i I would really encourage people to go see it again even if you're not necessarily a Shyamalan fan. If you're listening to this, you're a horror fan. And if you are able to safely go to a movie theater and see something, I promise it's not something you've seen before.
0: I agree. And I would think I would say that um, we saw it in a theater with people and it was fun to be in a, it a theater was people fun. for this. People laughed and people screamed and people went, oh my God, <laughs> which is like just so fun to experience in a movie theater.
1: Yeah. My number seven is old. Okay. Which we just talked plenty about. Mm-hmm. Mine is split. Mm-hmm. 2016's split is about a girl played by Anya Taylor-Joy and two other girls played by people who aren't Anya (laughs) Taylor-Joy who are abducted... But who are also good. Abducted and held hostage by uh, a man with dissociative identity disorder, uh, formerly known as Multiple Personality. And that's James McAvoy who puts all of these personalities on display as he's keeping these girls hostage. Yes. It is a straight up and down horror movie. Yes. That eventually... Joins the Unbreakable Universe to right. lead to Glass. But
0: only in a, a very quick moment at the end. So whilst you are watching it, it is a very much a standalone horror movie.
1: I think it's most... It, it, and it works as a standalone horror movie. Yes. I don't want to... Um. I thought about this before we started recording. I think that people know that now that Glass happened. Yes. I think that that's not... That's kind of the twist at people the end of the film. People pair
0: them up. People go split Glass. Like, that's yes. just
1: what happens. That is a twist. It is a twist at the end of the film. It is a Shyamalan twist that... You thought that
0: I wouldn't call that, but I I, I won't I won't get pedantic here.
1: You thought that Unbreakable, which was sixteen years earlier, was just another movie in my like filmography. filmography. What a surprise! Actually, it's in the same universe as this. Yeah, I don't think that the marketing of Glass. People who pay attention to movies and Shyamalan movies know that now. I don't want to talk about that at all. Really,
0: no. It's it's, it's relationship to those alone. movies. Yeah,
1: because I think that. I mean, I'm taking you over your 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 list placement here.
0: That's why we already talked about old.
1: This movie rocks. It's scary.
0: It's really scary. Andy
1: Taylor Joy is so good, and James McAvoy is like Hall of Fame level, like all in one. Yes,
0: it is a a deeply athletic performance, and I say athletic not just um in the athleticism of his body, which is which it also True. is, but it is it is stretching of acting muscles. And like I said at the beginning of this um, episode, I understand uh, the negative feelings. I remember when this movie came out, that was like the talking point around it was like, this is bad for culture because it makes DID look violent. And while again, I understand that and I have very complicated feelings about it. I think I understand why James McAvoy would want to do this because it's a really, really, really Incredible performance from a really incredible actor and yeah, it's, it's, it's really hard to talk about without being like, it's astounding. Like it's It's really, really really impressive.
1: I adore it. Uh, and I think it's, it's aside from the performance, it just rocks as a horror movie. Yes. It's Uh, really scary. It's freaky. It has from a, again, from a filmmaking perspective, so many nice like frames and camera moves and it uses tension so.
0: The set. So
1: well. The set is So, so good. It's so confined in a good way, in a way that feels claustrophobic. I, yeah, I just, I really, I really dig this movie. I
0: me, me too, a lot.
1: Once again, one that I really recommend to um, now screaming listeners because it's just a pure horror movie, and you don't have to do your homework and watch other movies before or after it. You could just no. watch this. No, ten- like just the tension is incredible.
0: It's just a really impressive Yuck. work. I love it.
1: My seven is old. I don't really have anything else to say about old because we just talked about it, right? My number six is Split.
0: Mine's The Visit. So this is just our little... <laughs> yeah.
1: Like I said before, I don't feel very strongly about the differences between Split, Old, and The Visit. I like all three of these movies Me too. quite a bit. Me too. Um, and maybe a week from now, I'll feel differently having spent more time. I and mean, again, we watched Old last night as a yeah. recording. So I might I might move those around. Uh, I just evangelized Split a lot. Um, it being my number six should not shock you given the fervor with which I'm, I'm praising it. Anything else you want to like touch on on the visit? Like I said, I don't want to talk about it more because I want people to go see it right now. I mean, go I see think... old because it's in theaters, but like, find a way to to watch the visit when you can.
0: I think that all three of these movies that we have in the six, seven, mm-hmm. eight, you know, thing really uh, lend themselves to what I what we've been talking about a lot already, which is just that he these are these are strange worlds that we're in. They're like a little bit off of normal. Yeah. But they're all, like, the people in them feel so real to me. I think that's, like, what brings me back to M. Night Shyamalan over and over again, like, in what I've just been thinking about him so much for the past week, is just, like, being struck by how much I love his characters. Yeah. Like, I love them. I just adore them. Again, like, James McAvoy in Split, he is the villain, but I have so much affection for... So many of the alters, and James McAvoy himself playing all of them mm-hmm. with again, like to say to call back to my earlier statement, like yes, at face value, it's about this man who is did who is violent, um, and kidnaps girls, but we feel so much for him, like he is a very um, like capable and empathetic therapist who like takes him seriously and. Uh, and listens to him. And I so I, I I just am so struck by how much I really love the characters and they don't feel like stereotypes or what, you know, they they, they feel real to me.
1: Yeah. I will also say that since we're at six now um, and that's where I have it, it's also, aside from being a, about a violent man with DID, it is about, and this is getting a little bit into the plot, it is about the belief in salvation mm-hmm. and about both split and glass Um, McAvoy's story is about characters believing in something or not believing in something, which is a core theme of Shaman's work that we're about to talk about a lot with these top entries on our list. Yes. It being about faith and doubt really struck me and strikes me more the more I think about it in terms of his work. Mm -hmm. That, again, it's totally standalone, but if you want to look at it in, in a career that is about being different and about believing yeah I'm really really moved by it and I'm really moved by the depth that those additional thematic layers bring to a scary horror movie
0: yeah and I will actually say um to kind of go back to glass because I didn't really get it in split that the whole the thing the, the thing that they have faith in I wasn't really understanding it like why they had so much faith in it um, and there's an element of uh suffering. Yes. that is like suffering those who have not suffered are impure and they are bad and they're we can just throw them away they're they're not useful
1: you and, are made pure through strife
0: through suffering and that is what makes you pure which is a really different take on a lot of things it's a brilliant idea it's a really interesting idea that i think is part of that because like like faith and suffering and what suffering makes you into, and I think those are also things that Michelon's really interested in. And I, I agree. I think that it's very, it's very powerful in a horror movie. In a movie yeah. that is like you know, doesn't really doesn't have to do that. I think that it could just be a very scary, uh, you know, mm-hmm. like it is. classic abduction film, and it is. But it also has this deep, this really deeper,
1: very resonance. interesting
0: resonance that I really enjoy.
1: So our top five. We should just say, are the first five "quote unquote" M Night Shyamalan films? Yes. I am excited to see the order that we have them in. I think they'll be very different. But I don't think it should be a shock to anyone. We are we are definitely defying popular wisdom about Shyamalan and popular dismissal of him uh, as someone who fell off and is incompetent and all those things, and you know, only had tricks up his sleeve and has nothing more to offer. But I would say that you know, this '99 to 2006 stretch is the height of his career. Yeah and
0: it's unfortunate because obviously we don't hate the things that came after but like they're just not as good
1: and frankly i'm sure that there are people who are attuned to his filmography that have noticed something a widely reviled film that we haven't talked about yet so i'm excited uh, to surprise (laughs) people with that
0: oh god i can't wait to talk about it
1: all right top five time
0: what's your number five
1: it's lady in the water
0: wow my number five is unbreakable I think we should talk about unbreakable because we're still kind of on the split glass yeah. train um train
1: Whoa, train unbreakable is from 2000 it was his follow-up to six cents mm-hmm. right bruce we should say, is back kind of his blank check movie of what a what a huge success six Sense yeah. was and now he can do what he wants and, and he, made he a decided movie? to
0: make a comic book movie
1: <laughs> yeah in 2000 which is so cool like i guess right around the same time that the the that first X Men movie
0: Oh yeah, 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 yeah. But
1: like, and there have been a couple comic book movies, right? There had been Blade, there had been some stuff, but like... But this is such a unique take on yeah. a superhero movie. Um, we should say, Bruce Willis survives a train crash. Yep,
0: yeah, he's the only survivor.
1: Cubs to learn over the like, course of the film. No,
0: no broken bones, nothing. He is completely fine.
1: He's an Unbreakable. Yeah. Mr. Poncho. Mr. Poncho.
0: Well, because, and, and I think I would say most of the movie is him kind of coming to grips with it because... I think it's handled in such a fascinating way. I have thought about this in my life before. Mm-hmm. The idea of like, if you don't have super strength, he has like, he's stronger than other men. If, if, you, if you don't have super strength, if it, the idea is just that you cannot die um, by kind of normal, natural means, uh, you might never know that. A person might never be in an accident big enough that it'd be like, how did you walk away from that? So there's so much that can be attributed to coincidence, right? And to, and to, you just got lucky and to like, well, maybe you're just stronger than you thought you were. Like, he's not lifting a thousand pounds. He's lifting 350 pounds. And that's like, you can kind of wave that away, but he has a son who deeply, deeply, deeply believes that he's a superhero. Again, we call back to these Mm -hmm. ideas of faith.
1: He's working Um, on this relationship with his wife.
0: Right? And the kind of the lies that have permeated their relationship because he's always repressed this this knowledge about himself.
1: And meanwhile, Sam Jackson, Samuel L. Jackson is uh, a purple clad, bird boned man yes, who is who is
0: dreaming of being a supervillain.
1: <laughs> yeah, and is, is teaching Aspiring him that he is that. a superhero. Yeah, I think I really loved this movie and I think that it really hits different after the world that we're in now that is taken over by superhero movies. Yeah. Not that again, not that I'm uh I love writing that. I enjoy them, but this is so different. It's so unique. It has such craft. This is a quiet, patient, so 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 patient movie that is about superheroes, but I would say may- maybe like one of the most rooted in realism, right? Yeah. This is just about mm-hmm. people in Philadelphia who are trying to, you know, do their jobs. Yeah. And
0: again, that's what, that's what it speaks to something so interesting that he's not Captain America. Like he can't do anything that is to a point where one could not deny it. Right. Mm -hmm. It's just that it's like, it's about faith. It's like, how much do you believe that you're, that he's special and that he was chosen. And like, It's so, it's just so interesting. His, like, his weakness is water, and it's so, it's kind of funny to think about, because it's like, yeah, we all could drown, but he has a specific kind of, like, it's just a really interesting, like, it relies so much on what it could mean to actually be a real life superhero. The idea of, like, a Marvel superhero, there's no, there's no way for those people to be quote unquote normal and kind of walk around and live normal lives that's kind of part of what happens in those movies is that Mm -hmm. none of them can return to a normal life that way um this man can fade back into the world if he so chooses he has to actually make the decision to be like do i want to save people affect change like be a vigilante
1: be mr poncho be mr
0: poncho that's just so so interesting and different from so much of what we see
1: I totally agree. I also think the the thing that makes this even higher than 5 on my list is the filmmaking, which I think is among Chawone's best. I think that I'm a I'm a sucker for a long take and a static shot and a frame. So much of this movie Chawone has a thing about frames and reflections and um using the camera frame to set up another window pane or another door frame like something mm-hmm. that then the characters are beyond. He does a lot of great blocking work mm-hmm. and i think that this is like top tier Shyamalan blocking and filmmaking uh a lot of it is also evoking comic book panels yes which i think is very intentional and very interesting i don't think we see much more i think people should watch this movie if they haven't seen it i mm-hmm. think that this is um, i think
0: all of our top five hundred percent if you haven't seen them, you i would recommend
1: them. to everyone maybe yeah. not
0: one of them but we'll get to that one which one is that uh that would be leading the water do you want to talk about that now my your, number five
1: I'm curious how high it is on your list. I actually feel like we should wait to do it when it's on your list. Sure. Because I think that, I'll just it's, say right now. It's a lot. The thing that I really love about Lady in the Water, the reason it's in my top five, again, this is widely seen as one of the big moments of downfall. If you,
0: if it wasn't if you start happening, with the six yeah, yeah and you're
1: like, where does, where does Shyamalan fall off for you? This is one of the ones where a lot of people fell off. Some people fell off earlier, some people fell off later. Yes. A lot of people didn't dig Lady in the Water. Um, the 2006 movie starring Bryce Dallas Howard and Paul Giamatti. Giamatti about an apartment complex and a water nymph who comes out of the pool. I think that it is, and part of the reason I love it, is that it is the apotheosis of a lot of Shyamalan's thematic interests. Mm-hmm. And it was shot by Christopher Doyle, who is one Kar-Wai's cinematographer and is a Cinematographer for a lot of great Hong Kong cinema. And I think to talk about it, we should talk about a couple others first, maybe. I agree. So I'm curious. I mean, this is not going to be very relevant if it's your number four, so we'll see. Mm-hmm. But I want to put a pin in Lady in the Water. Um, I would also like to put a pin in Lady in the Water. We'll get back to it. It being at five is not in any way... A strike against a it. A strike against it. Yeah. I love this movie. I think more people should give it a chance, but I think it is the least mainstream... Of these movies, mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. My number four is Unbreakable.
0: Okay. My number four is Signs.
1: Great. So Unbreakable, I think we talked about enough. Um, I just praise it. It rocks. Yeah. I like it the tiniest bit more than Lady in the Water. Yeah. And I would say the reason that it is at four for me and, and Lady in the Water is at five is that Lady in the Water is a messy movie. Yes, its strength is in its sprawl and its messiness. Yes, and Unbreakable is one of the most concise, tight films, patient, um, specific directed films that I've seen in a long time, even in the context of Shyamalan's filmography, (laughs) which he is a very specific concise director he is the master of the 100 minute movie yes almost all of his his movies are like between 145 and two hours with a couple exceptions like yes. he gets in and gets out he does not waste time he does not waste shots unbreakables um concision and precision are such like appeals to my sensibility of what i like in movies yeah that's why it's a four over Laying in the water which again also rules
0: let's talk about signs signs so that's my number four two Aliens. thousand
1: two I remember this movie coming out and being, like, an enormous hit. Yeah. Uh, Which it was. Makes sense. It's good. It's real good. I like it a lot. I think it's... um, I want to
0: say this really quickly because we've already talked about these movies, but uh, it's very in the same world as Glass and The Happening, something that I find very exciting, which is watching the world change. Yeah. Outside of horror, just in, like, how unbelievable it is and also those movies taking place over like 2002 2008 2016 or glasses 19. 19 um how different it is to watch the world change do you sit in a closet and uh watch a little a little tiny tv uh do you watch it like with your family in your big tv in your living room do you watch it on your phone in a train station very exciting to to imagine these things um all of these characters understanding that they're a part of history. I think Rory Culkin actually says something about it in Signs where he's like, this is what you're gonna, like, you're gonna tell your kids that you saw this. Like, you're gonna watch this for years and years and years. This is like the moment that something is changing uh, is really exciting. It's an exciting part of this movie, even with the horror and the fear is this like excitement of like, oh my God, nothing is ever gonna be the same ever again. After this. This day
1: I love signs. I um have been under the impression for my entire life that it was like a joke, that like, oh fucking crop circles, Mel Gibson. Everybody hates Mel Gibson, obviously. Yeah. Uh no, I loved this. I was shocked by how much I loved this. I this was obviously it's it's 2002 it's near where we started our Shyamalanathon. Mm-hmm. I was completely unprepared for the ways that this movie would would hit me emotionally. For me, this is the beginning of my journey of understanding that despite some of the, like, stylistic, stilted weirdness of these performances and some of this dialogue, like, beneath that is, like, the reveal of some really honest emotional truths Mm -hmm. and some really resonant relationships between characters and characters' relationships to faith, to belief, to the other, be that God or Aliens. Aliens or a a, a beast who's going to save you. Yeah. You know, like, I found this so emotionally resonant. And for me, that is the core of what takes Shyamalan from a good director to a great one. And mm-hmm. I would describe M. Night Shyamalan as a great director. Something that I'm sure... I guess if you made it this far, <laughs> that's not going to shock you. Someone just clicked out. <laughs> yeah. I legitimately think that uh, he's a great director. And it's because he understands... Something fundamental about people and people in crisis, and I think that Signs just nails it.
0: Yeah, and it's so. This was uh, we watched these in order mostly, except for that we put Unbreakable before Splitting Glass. Yes. Um. So this was our second in the Shyamalanathon. Yes, it was. And I have seen The Sixth Sense nearly too many times to really understand yeah. it from a filmmaking perspective when i look back on it i'm like oh of course there's the over, there's the filmmaking but it, i've i've almost lost the ability to see it as a uh, with fresh eyes at this point so watching signs which i probably only saw once in the 2000s um and being like oh my god these windows these frames these yes. mirrors these reflections these pans all of this like really understanding that he is a filmmaker. Yeah. And then again, he wants you to know where the camera is. He wants to let these, um, I think you mentioned it with, with Wahlberg, the, these 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 men, these very stoic, um, quiet men.
1: These reluctant leaders who are being turned to, again, in times of crisis, yes. and who have to f- navigate their relationship to helping others yes being a parent or being a a community leader
0: Mm -hmm. but that that they've repressed these feelings and that they're they're angry and I'm not not a fan of Mel Gibson like actually I realized when watching this that I don't actually feel like I know him from that much um, we
1: should say that, like, just straight up, like, uh, this is this is as big a caveat as the the <laughs> mental illness thing. Yeah, like, like, we do not Mel endorse Mel Gibson Mal bad, Gibson obviously. Mel Gibson real bad. Yeah,
0: but he has a scene in this that really struck me because it is messy and angry and cruel. And is it
1: the dinner scene? The dinner scene. Yeah. Um Where science it, has been out long enough, we could talk about this. I, yeah,
0: I hope so. He, the dinner scene. They're all having their last meals because they think yeah. the aliens are going to kill them, and he is being horrible to his children his poor children great child performances from rory Culkin and abigail breslin they're excellent they really you really feel for them um and they've lost their mother they're looking to their father uh and their uncle both of who are very quiet stoic farm men you know yeah. and he is being awful to them because he's afraid and actually rather than that driving them apart, it's kind of what brings them closer together, yeah, in this last this last night, and it's incredibly touching and it's amazing to pull that performance from someone like Mel Gibson, yeah, and from these children it's it's really impressive and like we should all walking
1: Joaquin Phoenix is great too he, yeah
0: he's wonderful. um, but it's like there's something about these characters that he creates. and I think there there's there's a huge problem in media these days like you have your soapbox of how film is now i have mine and that is that i think there's a lot of fear from filmmakers to make you hate the, your, the main characters yep. there's a lot of, of desire to make them good people who you can root for and i find that incredibly boring and reductive and 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 bad bad for culture bad for people um that we aren't allowed to have flaws and be messy and and sometimes cruel to people as long as we can make up for it afterwards and i think that like the way he is because he is has lost his faith, has lost his wife, uh, is losing grip with reality of what yes. he currently, be- like what he believed to be true. Uh, that he's allowed to feel that and that his children like love him. So there's just like, oh, there's so much there. We can, we so can, much.
1: I just want to put a pin in that just because you brought it up that I think that another pet theme of Shyamalan's is both belief in general. When we say faith, I feel like it makes us sound like we're... Um, talking about Christian faith because this movie is a little bit about that but it's about faith and belief more generally Mm -hmm. Um, it's about the realities we accept the realities that we make and the realities that we're willing to accept in order to live our lives be that a family be that an alien invasion be that um, a community uh, that you have created right I think that that's something he does with more skill than other filmmakers both his peers and even today i think that when people talk about how bad shaman scripts are i find it to be ridiculous because i think that regardless of the realism of his dialogue uh which i think is silly again there are things in science that feel like david lynch characters but like he understands the emotions between people and you don't do that while being like incompetent about how to write dialogue which no, he's not like but it's the people think that upsets me right and
0: it's not supposed to feel utterly and completely real it's it's a movie it's a movie it's fiction and i think that, like i've seen some people have problems with like whether or not this movie is saying yes or no that the mother was psychic right when she's like or that the little girl is psychic there's this element of like uh, the water glasses left around the house and the...
1: This movie doesn't have a twist. People think no, this movie has a twist. it's
0: not a twist. I'm so, so sorry to scream, but it's not a twist. Oh, this 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 Shambhalonathon has made me think a lot about what a twist is. You and I had a very heated argument about yeah. a twist versus just what happens in a plot. Bot, yeah. <laughs> um. I would absolutely bar none say this is not a twist. This doesn't recontextualize the movie. Unbreakable it's not like has something... more of
1: a twist than this.
0: The Sixth Sense has a twist. The Village has a twist. These are twists. They recontextualize the film. They take previously what you have known to be true and they flip it on its head. That is a twist. That's what a twist is. I don't think narrative payoff of this little girl having legitimate reasons for not like like liking her water glasses, she leaves water all around because like this one yeah. tastes like metal, this one tastes old, this one uh, got a hair yeah, in yeah. it. Like it's also very funny. Let us not forget, and Mike Shaiman is extremely funny the tinfoil hats in this are funny and they are supposed to be funny. And the like,
1: blocking of Mel Gibson in the foreground and the three of them like sitting on the couch with their tinfoil hats, yes. like,
0: is it It's purple? purposefully funny and good. Like, oh my God. But this is not a twist. It's just a beautiful narrative payoff of like, did the little girl leave all the glasses around because she she know, somehow knew they'd be useful, or is it just the idiosyncrasies of a little girl? Because M Night Shyamalan more than anyone I've ever seen gets how weird kids are. He understands that children are the fucking strangest people. In this Without world. exception, they're so he funny never... and weird, but they also have like complete personalities. They feel things so deeply. Like he gets that. Oh my god. He
1: never loses touch of that. From the sixth sense to old. To old. Every one of his children is like, yeah, this is how kids are. Those
0: are so weird. They They say the strangest things.
1: It's also something he's interested in. Like, his children have, like, an emotional um, awareness that the adults around them don't. Not just emotional, like a... um, in some cases, a literal awareness, a literal extra sensory, sense. <laughs> yeah, that adults around them don't. And I think that his empathy and his interest in children and parents and, and adults and growing up, growing up, like really remarkable. He's I, really good at exploring that. And it's I think incredible. that people who maybe have watched a few of his films over the years and have forgotten most of them. Don't have the sense that you get when you sit down and do a shyamalan but like, But <laughs> you're like,
0: another kid with a weird hobby who has these really funny, yeah. idiosyncratic uh, turns of phrase. Like, incredible. And that's
1: not a critique. That's no, a good thing. No, it's good. I like the consistency. I like that he keeps returning to this and exploring it, right? It's not yeah. that he's just repeating himself. He's finding- no, they're all really different. New elements to bring out of the things he likes to write about. Yeah. I, oh, God, I love science. <laughs> I'm going to get emotional But it's your number it. four. So I'm actually it curious. It is my number four. As we proceed, I'm curious to hear why it's it's your four. Because yeah. I think that was a fervent defense of it. Yeah. Number three. What's what's you, your, I want to hear yours. The, mine is The Village. Okay. Mine is The Sixth Sense. I, that's what I thought it had to be. So I'm sure that's a shock. That's the big shock of this.
0: Why? I never uh, thought you liked it as much as I did.
1: You walk around, go on the street, <laughs> and talk to people. I would say that... of them would say that Sixth Sense is Shyamalan's best movie.
0: Sure. That's because for some people, it's the only one, right? (laughs) Sure. For some people, it's the Sixth Sense, and all of the rest of them are bad. (laughs) Like, that's how a lot of people feel. That's probably how I felt. I mean, no, I like The Village. I have always at least
1: liked it. So Sixth Sense is the only one of these I had seen coming in. I honestly don't have a ton more to say about it because it was the one... In the Shyamalanathon, that I had, like, there was less revelation yeah. than ever. Like, yeah. I just. You'd seen it.
0: I, w- I really actually thought about it as, as we were talking about this. I'm like, I wanna rewatch it. I wanna rewatch it because I wanna look at it now that we have all this context yeah. of specifically his filmmaking. Because yes. I obviously think it's very much in the um, thematic world of the rest of these. We just talked about faith and um, being a child and. The burden of leadership and information, honestly, like just the burden of like, I know something and I see something that others don't and I need to own that more than be afraid of it. Um, all of that's very present, but I really want to, I, I can think of a mirror, I can think of a few mirror shots very specifically. Yes. And now I'm like, oh, I want to look, I want to look and see more frames. I want to see more windows. Like I want to, I want to look deeper into it that I in a way that I never have before.
1: I think we're going to talk about The Sixth Sense more in a little bit. Uh, So just to justify to you and the world why this is all the way down at number three, uh, I do not super care for Bruce Willis in this. Uh I think that that's the main thing bringing this down, is that um, for me, Bruce Willis is not wearing an emotion well and is not really engaging to me. I will accept and think that that is on purpose because, sorry... He's a ghost. Yeah, um,
0: he doesn't have an inner life. He doesn't I think have it's life. like. That's he what we pops discussed afterwards. In
1: and out of existence. Yeah, I think that he the can't film...
0: have deep thoughts. He he fundamentally cannot have deep thoughts because if he were to have deep thoughts, he would understand who he is.
1: That's fine, and I, I think that the way that the movie uses this is the thing is it feels so silly to praise the sixth sense. Like, yeah, we all know it's a fucking <laughs> it's masterpiece, wonderful movie. I think that the way that Shyamalan uses like our knowledge of film, like um conventions and tropes and like the language of editing against us yes. is brilliant We don't question why he just pops up places is, that's
0: how movies are it's amazing
1: It is incredible it is masterful I think he gets Plenty of credit for it, which is the thing that like yeah. this is an M9 Shaman defense podcast now. <laughs> the Sixth Sense doesn't need defending. <laughs> no. I think it's a remarkable movie. I think the filmmaking I'll give is it great. Defending. The emotions are incredible. Tony Clinton is incredible. Haley Joe Osmond is incredible.
0: Incredible. I
1: love the little funny bits. The um
0: It's so funny. <laughs>
1: it's so funny and it's so sad. The fact that it has like <sighs> the, the payoff of the cough syrup commercial and also like the horror of Misha Barton. I just think it's yeah. an extremely effective movie, top to bottom. I just like these other two things better. Yeah,
0: that's fair. Want to talk about the village or wait until you it comes up on your list?
1: We put a pin in Lady of the Water. I think we put a pin in the village. Okay. Unless you want to talk about it now.
0: No, I imagine we're going to talk about it after the next thing we talk about.
1: That sounds the, like the a spoiler. Is,
0: the question is, the what are the, what is the order we're going to discuss these top three? Or I guess we did just talk about the sixth sense. So in what order do you want to do the next two?
1: Let's put a pin in the village, mm-hmm. just because we've got we've got two to go on each of our lists, and yeah. the village hasn't shown up on mine yet, so we'll mm-hmm. see.
0: Oh, well, we'll get there.
1: Number two for me uh-huh. is science. Yes, I was just very effusive about science. I don't really have a lot more to say than that. It's my number two in part because I was so bowled over by it—the filmmaking, yeah, it the emotions—at the beginning of this journey. I was just really stunned by it in a way that the sixth sense just doesn't have the capacity to do to me anymore. No. It's not- I really don't know that Science is a more fulfilling or uh, better film than yeah. Science. I'm not even making but it, that claim. It was
0: able to- I mean, it, you didn't like Mel Gibson's romance at first. You were, you were like, this is the same as Bruce Willis. like, it's the same kind of just like, man is giving me nothing. And then he started to give you something. And, and I was we're like, really- Wait a second.
1: Really moved. Um, what is your number two?
0: It's Lady in the Water. <laughs> I can feel like the world- like. We're gonna get her. <laughs> like, I'm, I have to go into hiding now. It's
1: time to talk about it. So, Lady of the Water, like we said, 2006, oh. it's a fantasy movie. I think It that is not
0: a horror movie. There's like moments of horror, but no more than any other kind of like adventure movie. I thought it was gonna fantasy be a horror movie. movie. I did too. I thought it was a horror movie because I thought it was gonna be like mermaid horror.
1: Yeah. Um, she's not
0: a mermaid. Did everyone know this except for me? <laughs> I thought she was a mermaid.
1: She's a narf. And she's. uh... She has legs yeah she's just she's a lady she's not a mermaid she's a narf which is a water nymph and she's gotta she's gotta get away from the scrunt that's trying to get her Um, are you making fun of the idea that this is my number two no 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 by
0: describing it this
1: way no that's not where we should start so I I think that that. this is probably the hottest of all the takes is that both of us love lady in the Water
0: I love it so much I let's let's start from a different point of view before before we talk about the adventure um fantasy like fantasy part of this Paul Giamatti who is just oh, a great. wonderful wonderful actor. I love him. I love him in nearly everything he's ever done including Big Fat Liar with Frankie Muniz. I love Paul Giamatti. Let's just get that out of the way. Yeah. He is playing a very sweet, very beloved uh handyman in an apartment complex. You know, surrounds a pool. <sighs> How do I begin? Other movies exist that do this motel apartment complex thing as well. And I think a fundamental thing that happens with these kinds of movies is that you must create a cast of characters who are so compelling that one feels this feeling of like living in this apartment complex. And M. Night Shyamalan does this to, in my opinion, perfection because these characters are all so strange in a way that only real people can be this strange. There's a stranger than fiction aspect to them. That's like, I can see for some people that it would take it too far, but as we discussed before with, with the way that M. Shyamalan writes children with their little idiosyncrasies, people have those too. Human beings are very strange. They're very weird. They have weird habits yeah. and they do weird things. And and Mike Shyamalan captures this in a way that for me still felt very real. It still felt very like, yeah, these are the cast of characters that like I also see in my apartment complex.
1: I would say, um, to append to reality, like, is very earnest. Shyamalan's a very earnest filmmaker in general. But there's a genuine love for these characters, for these weirdos. Yeah. Regardless of the role they play in the plot, that I think... Ninety-nine out of a hundred other filmmakers would not be able to strike the tone that that works in this movie about that. these people, yeah, as humans within her lives,
0: absolutely. And they're all their relationships to each other, and the way that some of them like hide away, and the way that some of them are just constantly present, and that this this fantasy character requires a large group of people to to help her, and that they all. I have such, I have such a affection and a weakness for groups of people coming together around something that is, um, otherworldly or, or fantastic. And that they have
1: to believe it. They have
0: to believe it. Perhaps. Faith. And they, and specifically, I think this one gets even more into the idea of faith and, and being a child that we all Mm -hmm. want to believe in.
1: A character says that explicitly. The character says, I I want to believe in this more than anyone. I I want to be a child again. I want to
0: be a child again. And I think that that's just like, oh, 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 it really, it really, really gets to me.
1: Okay, we gotta, we gotta talk. Okay, so to avoid an hour digression about this movie. Yes. We should say, I totally agree with everything you're saying about the emotions working. The fundamental reason that this is a great movie is because the emotions work. Yes.
0: It's also bananas. Is that what I you're getting at? It's this, crazy. There
1: is nothing that I have ever seen that's like Lydia in the Water. Yeah. Um, it has an extensive... The thing that works least about it for me, the reason it's down at five for me as opposed to two, is that it has so much water nymph lore about the blue world there's so much lore and it is delivered and if i was to tell you so clunkily yes but like the the movie structure is like they do stuff and they find out some more they do stuff and they find out some more and i don't and they were wrong so they have to go back and find out some more i don't know that that totally works for me on my first watch i could see myself growing to really accept its rhythms but it is unique even within the context of the shablon like oeuvre like it is A weird movie that asks you to keep track of, I think, maybe too much lore.
0: Yes, and it asks you to buy in that all of these people wouldn't go, excuse me, no, and walk away, right? Like, we're talking, again, these weird little grass wolves. We're talking eagles. We're talking, like, regular people being, like, an interpreter and a guild and, like, having these fancy names and... I understand that if I were to go to someone and be like, let's talk about the plot of Lady in the Water, that I would sound insane. But I like get it. like we said,
1: like we said with The Happening, if your criticism of a movie is that you describe the plot and think that the plot is, is too itself, ridiculous. is the joke, the joke is you just saying what happens, that's not, that's not criticism.
0: No, because Paul Giamatti, as, a, as our lead, really really pulls this together it's it's an ensemble performance from everyone like I think everyone's desire to believe and protect and participate and to like it's wonderful it's wonderful to me but that is something that you have to buy into and I understand why people don't want to if that's not your thing it's my thing and that's why it's my number two is because it may not be the best. I think that's. it was important that we said that when we talked about our rankings. This is maybe not best to worst. Yeah. It is enjoyment. That the feeling I had watching it, it's just ticking so many boxes mm-hmm. for me. And I'm okay with how ridiculous it is.
1: I would rather have a big swing like this. The things I'd compare it to most are like Synecdoche, New York, which is again, not there's nothing like it. Or Richard Kelly's Southland Tales. Like huge, huge swings that require you to buy into its mythos and require you to really meet it on its level. I would rather have those from great artists like Shyamalan than just about anything else. Mm -hmm. It doesn't even have to, again, Lady of the Water works for me. I would rather them take these big swings and fail and fail, which I don't think that this does, but I understand why others might like, this is art. And I know that this is a ridiculous thing for me to say, like an hour and a half into this podcast, but like, Lady in the Water is an achievement. Yeah. It is unlike anything else. And if you want to see movies about love and faith and perseverance, and specifically, we haven't talked about this nearly as much, but about grief and about learning to cope with grief, which I would say that so so many of his movies are about but I made that, a joke.
0: Especially these first five, I think, though.
1: Yeah, I made a joke at at, at some point, I think, on Letterboxd that like I thought that uh, the last airbender was like, you know, didn't have enough Shyamalan in it. And then a dragon literally comes in to tell the protagonist that his grief is his refusal to engage with his grief is holding him back. Yeah. And that's the most Shyamalan From thing I've ever fucking leadership.
0: heard. Leadership. Wow, it's all there. <laughs> like
1: uh It's incredible, like this through line. I think that this is one of the most this and signs for me are like the most potent emotionally resonant explorations of the burden of grief and like Mm -hmm. the way that you have to accept it to accept living with grief in order to move forward as a self-actualized person. I know that this sounds like, like saying this sounds like such like therapy mumbo jumbo. And that's the kind of filmmaker that Shyamalan is, is you have to be emotionally vulnerable to really get so much out of it. And I really, really respect him for making fantasy movies, horror movies, thrillers, that are about feelings and are about people dealing with feelings.
0: And that's always been what has been so important to me about him. And I am so thrilled to know that that's part of his, his oeuvre. Like that, that's not just a one-off in the sixth sense. It's so true of everything he makes are these emotions and these feelings and grief and trauma and suffering is like so present in all of it. I, I'll, I want to connect this to the sixth sense for one moment because I think that they're like, it seems unlikely, but there's there's a through line to me that's very, very, very important with them both as my number one and two. If we oh, can just kind of
1: Let's use this to transition now.
0: Sure, into The Sixth Sense. There's a line in The Sixth Sense that has always really both impacted me, but also baffled me because it's a line in a horror movie and it's a strange way to refer to what is happening to the character of Cole in The Sixth Sense. We all know. He can see ghosts. He can see dead people. That's also been made fun of through a lot of ever since it came out yeah as uh, I can see dead people it's in the trailer um, for them but movie. it's not funny to me. it's very, very very, very upsetting. It's very traumatic for him as a child and for me has actually always represented mental illness. I think that his um the way that he experiences what he experiences is very much a metaphor for mental illness with me especially the way that the movie is like you will never be rid of this but here's how you can live with it every day yeah. I think that's a very powerful and important thing to say about mental illness and so but one of the things that he says to Bruce Willis at one point when Bruce Willis will not believe him again we come to these these themes of faith um and belief um in something that you can't understand previously Bruce Willis has done a little magic trick for Cole that he thought was stupid but he gives him the penny back that was part of the magic trick and he says how can you help me if you don't believe me which again very powerful about mental illness and he says some magic's real and that has always really struck me because it's such a strange thing for him to say about his seeing ghosts and it's a horror movie we don't think about horror movies being about magic yeah and we don't think about the the pain of ghosts and monsters as being magic and that's what Lady in the Water does is it takes something that is like, could be horror and makes it magic or it makes, it takes magic and makes it into horror. Like it's this marriage of magic and horror that I'm like incredibly touched and fascinated by.
1: You know what it's really in conversation with and what I would um, recommend if you haven't seen Lady in the Water or if you haven't seen it a long time and maybe either you bounced off of it or... I, again, I can't blame you for growing up or being whatever age you were, <laughs> yeah. and being in a world that that saw Shyamalan as a joke. Maybe you didn't engage with it in good faith. That's okay. I forgive you. Uh, <laughs> again, I never even engaged with his work at all. Yeah. I spent I spent two decades ignoring his work. Yeah. So, if you were to give Lady the One of the chance, I would say it's a conversation with the work of Guillermo del Toro.
0: Oh, absolutely, um, absolutely. In
1: general, I think Shyamalan and and del Toro share an earnestness and interest in in fantasy and belief and children and the perspectives of children mm-hmm. and empathy, I think that Shyamalan takes those interests to an extremely emotional degree, where I think that Del Toro is very, uh, who I've expressed so much admiration for on the podcast before, takes them to um, extreme storytelling and formal... His films are just so much more visually articulated. Yes. Um, but I think that Lady of the Water... Could be a version of a Del Toro Absolutely, movie. Absolutely,
0: but you're at the marriage of 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 horror and fantasy, um, and fantasy being horror, and horror being fantasy. Very, they're very monsters are that way. Yeah, monsters take us into the realm of fantasy in a way that like a movie like Scream doesn't. Right? And I
1: wish not all storytellers understand that, and that's okay to be no. are different kinds of stories about monsters. But the ones who see monsters as um a a world, a world of fantasy that also needs to be met with empathy. I think yes. those are really special and stories. connected
0: to children. I think that's yeah. so fascinating. What about imagination? Yes, well, it, the, the lack of imagination as we as we get older, and yeah. I think that that's like real, that's something that has affected me my whole life. I've been very. Interested in this challenge, it. I think it's actually a very role ism mm-hmm. Another caveat well, against okay. sport role dolls. Just podcast, to also transition
1: like, to Sixth Sense, like the the realities that we accept, right?
0: Yes, but that like I I had a I've had many many a thought about the Sixth Sense again. One of my favorite movies of all time. I've thought about it for many many years. Questions I've asked myself of the Sixth Sense that are not pre- present in in the movie, but. Are suggested, I think, by the world that we're in, is that only children can see ghosts. I don't know if this is what Emile Shyamalan had in mind when he made this movie or when he yeah. wrote it, but that's kind of the mind. That's the feel, the feeling I get from it is that like you're a child, your mind is more open to magic and understandings of other senses and seeing the world in a way that uh, for the way that it is, rather than being an adult and sort of pushing it off, repressing it, which we see with a lot of Shyamalan's mm-hmm. adults, obviously repressed. Yeah, uh, that like. But that Cole potentially could be an adult who sees ghosts because he has, he is not going to be afraid his whole childhood and then repress it as an adult. He has accepted the fear and the love. Like he, he has learned to love the monsters, right? And understand them as people and as people who felt feelings. And help them. And help them. And that that is like, maybe that will transition to adulthood Maybe he'll be an empathetic and open-minded and you know thoughtful adult
1: not a repressed Shahabab adult adult who, who's in need of having his mind open yes
0: in need of returning to that childhood so like I'm just I think all of these especially these these top ones we've talked about are so in conversation with each other because a lot of them have a repressed adult and a, and a, or a faithless a faithless man yep. and a faithful child and how they have to talk to each other to understand. How they can both move forward with that because it is also important that like sometimes the faith of these children is painful to them. Like that's also part of it. It's not just like faith yeah. good, not faith bad. Faith can be, it can let you down. It can
1: liberate or it can... Um, uh, Like imprison. Yeah.
0: Like make you more, make you more afraid. So those things are just so, I feel very present in the sixth sense of Lady the Water as well as his other ones. Like it's just oh, I could, I could really go on about yeah, this forever, we gotta- but like, I think that it's just so, I feel so much meaning in these movies about the things I personally am so interested in. And this is why I'm like, you know what, if you think it's heavy handed, I get it. I like that. That for me is a feature, not a bug. Like I want to be able to be like, oh my God, I can draw all of these lines between these movies and understand thematically what he's trying to impart without it being like he's saying one thing and this is the one thing he's saying he's letting you ask questions and make connections and i love that
1: I mean, again, i'm that's, so into it that's why i prefaced this whole thing with like this this is a journey for the open-hearted not the cynical yeah you have to be willing to
0: just true of watching his movies as well yeah,
1: think about feelings yeah. you have to really think about feelings and not just like nitpick plot to to Get what his movies are providing. And yeah. I think that if you're open to that, there's this is this has been such a rewarding journey. I know we're not this is sounds like a summary, but like not over yet. I just absolutely agree with you about the three lines that you're drawing. I love it. So number one, for you is the sixth sense. Yes. Again, a, a favorite for your whole whole entire life.
0: hard to both a problem, I think, because maybe there was never any option of there being anything else. Yeah. But I can't I can't not, it's literally, it's like what got me into horror. Like, I think I probably talked about it on our very first episode. It was my first, first real horror movie that I loved. And I think that's because of what M. Night Shyamalan is doing. It's not a coincidence. It, I think for a long time I thought it was a coincidence. I thought it was a one-off. But no, it turns out the reason I love horror is because how of how M. Night Shyamalan does horror. Because it's emotional. Because it's about... So many things. It's not just scary. Although I know a lot of people don't think the Sixth Sense is scary. I think it's scary. I, I know that it just it's because they're trying to preserve, and Shaman is trying to preserve the one act twist of him being able to see ghosts means we don't see any ghosts for the first like half an hour i don't but even think that's
1: the twist that's the premise
0: it's the premise but but that's why it we was don't... revealed in the trailer that's the why twist, the twist sure. is that he's dead. that's why we don't see any ghosts we don't see any ghosts for the first little bit because we are not supposed to understand that he can see ghosts until he tells bruce willis and then we understand it but that means for a lot of people that it's not a horror movie or that it's not scary and i'm like i'm sorry it's still scary tony collette walking back into the room and all the cabinets being open is scary
1: yes it's horror, that's it. On the other hand, my number one, my favorite point of the Shyamalanathon journey is a movie I watched for the first time last week, called The Village. Yes, of Force, the fourth. My Village. number three. Your number three.
0: So I also really love it. Just want to put that
1: up. Yeah, there. I knew the twist going in. Mm-hmm. If you don't know the twist, I guess I'll preserve it for now, though. Probably dis- gonna, we'll discuss. I'm later I'm going to talk about it in a little bit. Um, knew the twist going in. Uh, knew the twist derisively. I'm almost certain I almost certainly have a. I have an image in my head of, like, the punchline of a, again, Robot Chicken joke.
0: Who and Robot Chicken? I don't know. I've never watched it in my life. I've never That's what the, like, the, about.
1: what's the twist? Like, that, like, thing is from Robot Chicken.
0: I've never heard that. I think we just lived in different worlds growing up.
1: It's not a good thing. Again, uh, MHM1 <laughs> doesn't have an Indian accent. Like, I don't know what that no, shit's about. it's very racist it's and It's very bad. fucking weird. I think The Village is a masterpiece. Again, I think knowing the twist going in did not detract from it one bit. Part of it, I know, is that it is shot by Roger Deakins, who is the Coen brothers and Denis Villeneuve Mm -hmm. and Sam Mendes, um, cinematographer. One of the greats of the history of cinematography. So this movie, to Evan, is just candy. It just looks incredible. But a huge part of this is also Shyamalan's interest in constructing just the most precise and incredible shots. I, I, I could go on and on about the village the way that you did about laying in the Water, and I want to sort of dial back here. The village is about a community of people. I'm spoiling it now, by the way. <laughs> a community of people who cannot cope with their grief, so they take all of their money and their opportunity and go live in a secluded village and go back to the in way, quote-unquote, things were in some... Uh, apocryphal like puritan time right
0: it's really non-specific which i think is could be a criticism but i think is a boon they're not historians who are like we are going to recreate the puritan times in exactitude they're like we just don't want computers or phones or guns or money but again
1: this for me is why especially in in this context like it's about people running away like like Intentionally self-isolating after loss and the fallacy of that. They yeah. construct a reality. This is a movie about deception. They construct a reality and raise their children in a fake Puritan village yeah. because they can't deal with the real world. Right. And I think
0: that. So they create fake monsters in but in so doing so creating real monsters in it's, some it's, ways.
1: It's astoundingly deep. I could I could talk about this forever. Um the reason it's my favorite is that I think that there is a a two hour version of this. There is a two and a half hour version of this that has all the same elements and really lays it on thick with the monsters and the discovery of the monsters. And you know, the challenges of this community.
0: Maybe even spends more time in the real world, right? Yeah. Doing more fun stuff. And it's like, no,
1: no, this is a tight 108 minutes. Love story. Story about deception. The story love about, story
0: is really beautiful about too.
1: Giving yourself over to once you know the truth how much that colors your experience of your quest. Again, Bryce Dallas Howard's quest to save the man she loves. Um, even after she knows the truth, she is single-minded and returns to her reality. I am just so moved by it. It is such a visual delight to me. It is quite scary. It is quite it's moving. very scary. The cinematography is perfect. The only knock at all I have about this movie is that uh, Adrian Brody plays a developmentally disabled man who lashes out villainously and is ultimately punished for it. And I think that especially in the context of Shyamalan's work having issues with some sort of, like, uh, inherent, like, evil in the disabled or, or mentally ill... I think is not great and achieves the same results. It would in fact be precious if he was just like a nice guy, a shitty nice guy who just I wish jealous. he was a shitty
0: nice guy. Like, I wish it's so hard. It's the same story. Uh I think that all the things I've said, he has afforded the least empathy. Yes. Not by the characters, but by the film. By the film. Um and I think that's sad. I think it's a bummer because of all the things we've already said, um, it's not it's not very empathetic towards him. And it's sad.
1: Yeah, the main thing I want to say about this is that, like, I would say this is, like, the first real point that pop culture at large fell off with him. I think that's part of why I remember this specific, like, punchline, making fun of it. And, like, signs I think people, not everyone loved the ending of, but it was generally well-received. Yeah. Um, There was that cover of him standing in the cornfield saying the next Spielberg. Yes. Uh, Iconic. So, like... The villages where people sort of be like, oh, is this guy just a gimmick? Is it just like he's just got twists? Yeah. And I really, again, watching it for the first time in twenty twenty one, having known the twist for almost two decades, I don't think it detracts from it all. I don't understand why people hated this. I think that people just stopped wanting to meet him where he lived, and this in is Philadelphia. A- in Philadelphia, this is such an <laughs> earnest movie. That I think turned people off. I don't understand how people watch this. I have friends that I love, whose opinions I cherish, who think this movie sucks. And I I just don't see what they see. Yeah,
0: I can't really. Like, I don't understand.
1: Maybe you don't like full horror. Maybe you don't like movies like this. You don't like The Wicker Man. You don't like The Vivid. We don't even like The Vivid that much. I don't, but, like, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, I just I don't understand why this is a but joke. But that's,
0: that's why it's so. The reason I like this more than The Vivid is because it's not historically accurate. I respect The Vivid for being historically accurate and being like- Listen, Robert
1: is... Eggers does the most. Yeah,
0: he does. And I, I respect it. But one of the things I love about this movie is how delusional it is. It's delusional to think one could just go back, go back to how things were. That one, the only reason they can do that is because of money, which I think this movie- This movie knows. Knows. This movie being made by a brown person- I think gives it context of how fucked up it is that they're just like, we're going to go back to how things were. We're not going to bring any people of color. Yeah. Because if we went back to how things were, they'd have to be our slaves and that's fucked up. So they just don't do it. And that's also fucked up. And like how these people are bad. I don't think that the premise of the movie is like, of course they had to leave gun violence, killed their families. Like we understand their, their desire, their grief. Makes them feel like we got to get out of here. We got to go shelter in the in the, the woods and get away from money and get away from those things. But it's not possible. And it's messed up. It's a self-deception
1: in addition to the deception that they're perpetrating on their families. On their, their families. innocent
0: families that like... If, if Ivy, if the character of Ivy didn't say, like, I need to go through the woods and get medicine for Lucius, they would just let him die. Yeah. And I think that that gets into the ethics of medicine. And I think that that's really interesting. Yeah. The ethics of this community. They didn't plan for this. They didn't plan for horrors and atrocities being committed in their small community. And because
1: they're ignorant, because they're... Yes. Yeah.
0: Because they're, 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 they think they can control it. They think they can just make everybody scared. It's
1: denial. It's, it's, inc- it's inability really... to cope with g- grief. It's, 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 yes. it's he seems that he's exploring, and I think this does Repression. it so... So, so, so effectively. The, th- the last thing I want to say about this, the one thing that I want to highlight is the centerpiece of this, is there is a scene where they're discussing whether or not to let Ivy go on her quest. It is the elders of the community... And the blocking in it is perfect. It is shot like nothing else. Um, again, panning where others would cut, doing these long takes, these very theatrical long takes that let the performances shine, where William Hurt is talking and he's between, the blocking is incredible, uh, Brendan Gleason and and Cherry Jones and making this impassioned plea on behalf of his daughter and his daughter's love. And then Brendan Gleason gives this speech where he concludes, you know, like she's running towards hope Let her do that. Mm -hmm. Like, cherish this fire in her, this love in her. And if it ends, it ends. The acceptance that everything that they have built over these years could come crashing down because of this one allowance. And his just like, yes, this is worth it. The reason that we did this project, I'm getting chills right now, is love. (laughs) For love. And this, for this blind girl to want to go on this journey And Do This For Love is the reason that we are all standing here together today. And we cannot suppress that. If it ends, it ends. I am so moved by that. Mm -hmm. And I think that it is nearly a perfect movie. I can't wait to rewatch it. It's a new favorite. A lot of these are new favorites. Shaman is a new favorite director. Mm -hmm. I think The Village is so concise and precise. And there's not a shot wasted in it. And I... um, As much as I love all these movies in the top five... It is the one that I will be thinking about, I think, for the longest. At least, that's how I feel this week. Yeah. At the end of our shambhalan
0: Yeah. I'm so, just to recap, I really feel... I'm not a person who thinks about film making and the camera as much as you do. Yeah. But I love how much M. Night Shyamalan made me think about the camera. And I think that what I love about it is that it feels so in service of performances. Yes. And I think that that's rare. I think that film... Not that you can't have good performances on clarify. film when there are cuts.
1: As opposed to like the, this is unfair, this is another movie shot by Roger Deakins, but like 1917, which is making you think about the camera with these long shots because it's making you think about what an achievement it was Correct. to do it. Correct, because of action. Yes.
0: Because it's, it's amazing to think about action. No one ever talks about... M. Night Shyamalan's long shots. No. Because they're not athletic. I didn't they're even not, know about it. I didn't even know. And there's a lot that I didn't even notice because it's not in service of being like, whoa, have you noticed how I never cut? Like, it's just to let someone give their full speech. Or, which is even more interesting, because that happens, right? There's a lot of things that are like, okay, do your whole thing as yeah. if we're on stage. A lot of directors will do that. What he will do instead is stay on a different person while another person is talking and maybe pan between them but then stay on one person in order to get their reactions to what is being said and oh my god is that just an unbelievable and incredible way to do things so
1: astute and original I think the thing that people people bounce off of in his filmmaking is that one he makes you think of the camera there's a shot in Lady of the Water that's from above as if it's a raindrop and it's just going down and down and I'm thinking about like the person who I'm going to be a little snarky here, I'm sorry. The person who learns about what good filmmaking is from a YouTube video and, like, the rules of the three-act structure or the hero's journey or here's how you set up a shot... And the limited imagination, again, the uncuriosity that I mentioned at the beginning, that makes you see something that makes you think about the camera or something that is non-traditional and to think, this is incompetence. Yeah.
0: I can imagine it happening with Old. There's a shot in Old. Yeah. This is not a spoiler. There's a shot in Old where um, three people are standing over someone else. And so it's, the camera is where the, the person on the ground would be. And it is zooming up past their faces yep. into the sky. And I can. I was sitting there going, "Oh, people are not going to like that. It's not traditional. It's 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 leaving behind where we are on this beach. These people, their panic. We are going into the sky." And. I don't know. I don't. I haven't thought about it deeply enough to what that means. I haven't read anything about yeah. it. But I thought about it. I thought, wow, what does that mean? And that is a question we are not always asked in filmmaking, like why
1: and it feels, why this shot. It feels less and less like we're being asked that. Agreed. From, from major filmmakers. Agreed. And th- I mean, like this is this means it's not like all
0: movies are shit except for in my Shambhala. They're not. It's in the how I feel. I there's so many movies that never made me think about the camera that I love and cherish, and it's not a problem. But like. The way that these, this filmmaking influences the performances and so therefore the way we feel about the characters, which we've all, I feel like we've laid out that like they feel so real and tender and empathetic And and like...
1: Like, the character's God, emotions like, come through the screen.
0: So, and I and I feel like it's because of the filmmaking. I agree. And I he has a lot of repeated actors. Like, mm-hmm. a lot of actors have been in multiple films of his. And so I'm very curious to know if that's something that actors enjoy. Because film actors, that's not always what they have to do, right? Like, yeah. there's a big difference between theatrical actors and, and film actors. And some of them cross over, and that's great. But a lot of p- film actors are used to, like not having to memorize entire monologues.
1: To do a line and then be able to cut and count on the film be cut to hell. Like, yes,
0: exactly. And that you give it in in, in parts and pieces and fil- movies are filmed out of order. So you're not always connected with the characters this way. Frankly,
1: there are actors that he works with that I would say are among the guiltiest we, of that. We
0: would never have expected that these characters yeah. would would want to deliver entire monologues and that we would feel something after these long monologues. But I do and I feel so... Impacted by these characters and the speeches that they give, and again, like the dialogue to me is so. Again, I I mean, we're talking about the village. There's a speech that Walking Phoenix gives in the village that I think is like unbelievably beautiful and tender, and it's important that that speech exists the way that it does because it. We have to buy into it for the rest of the movie to feel as emotional as it does. We have to be like. Get that medicine girl, like and get back here before he dies. Like Absolutely. that's so important. So I I just was so I'm so happy to know that the Sixth Sense was not a one off. It's just very exciting for me to be like, oh no, this is all this is what it's all about. This is what he's doing and what he's gonna continue to do for twenty
1: years. Yeah, I think Shamar is a is a filmmaker for the curious and for the empathetic and for people who like seeing something different in a movie. And I accept that that isn't everyone, but God, is it me? Yeah. <laughs> and I, I, the fact that I didn't know that a week and a half ago, I had no idea that Shaman's work was so up my alley. Yeah. And now I do, uh, makes me angry at pop culture, at, at, at the world for making his earnestness and his lack of traditional approach into a joke for so long. I, yeah. I feel guilty. Upsetting. I am so upset. Not that I like, I was never a big purveyor of like racist jokes about him, but like, I I just ignored his work. I completely yeah. ignored him. Like, Split came out and was we were we were doing this podcast already. Yeah,
0: we just we just had no interest.
1: Like, I was an idiot and I'm sorry. And I like <laughs> I, I like call him
0: personally an apologist. Yeah,
1: I mean he's he's so gifted and I'm glad again, we're having a not all his movies are good. I'm not pretending that. I'm not that kind of apologist. There are people out there who think that all of his movies are masterpieces. It doesn't matter. I will watch everything this man does until he or I die. Yeah. Like, I am so in. What's so
0: fascinating, I think, to look over his entire career is that some of its um, budget and production companies, right? Like, we can see why he couldn't do his full visions with these sci-fi movies because he didn't really fully own them. But even he, as a filmmaker... Wanting so hard to not just be seen as the horror twist guy. yeah, he has a quote if I can just read that because i I love it. right after I believe the visit. yeah. he he was uh, interviewed by Rolling Stone and Rolling Stone, I mean, wrote the guy who makes the scary movies with a twist. but he also, you know, said that it, that was a misconception. All my movies are spiritual and have an emotional perspective. Um, but in twenty eighteen, he said i don't think you could have told me that making thrillers for your whole life wasn't a bad thing at first it was a sense of hey i can make anything but that's hypocritical because when i pick up an agatha christie novel in my library i have a strong expectation so i get it when i became happy with the idea of making thrillers for the rest of my life everything went right and i think that that is so interesting that he never wanted this he wanted to be someone who could make anything and he wanted to make like thrillers and horror and yeah. fantasy and a do, Spielberg and, you know and, and do it all and I one I think he can I think he's absolutely capable of it absolutely but I also think there's something really interesting in finding your lane and be, and the thing about Agatha Christie is so funny because like it's true like you have to understand that if you become an auteur or a public figure like people are going to go see your movies and be like I expected it to be a horror movie and understanding that as a filmmaker is a very interesting conclusion to come to and so I'm, I'm very just interested in like whether or not he will continue from now on to or if you know if we see in he has a movie that comes out in theaters in five years that's like some weird little fantasy movie like yeah. i might be more accepting of that than i was before when i was like where's his horror movie like you know when he was making the last Render, i was like what's going on here like this is not a man who makes fantasy movies so I th- we have definitely been changed by this past week.
1: <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I um, I kind of think we've said it all.
0: I have one more thing to say, which is related actually to his repeating actors. I should have said it then, but um, one of the really fun things about watching these movies a lot of the past week was recognizing names in the credits, not just of actors yeah. but of um other people who work on these movies. He has a very very long running relationship with the composer James Newton Howard. Um, so you know the Village hasn't. An- Unbelievable violin score is the first credited person is the violinist, like the featured violinist yes. on that score. Um, because it's incredible. Um, I actually think the like unbreakable split glass score is very connected and it's very beautiful. Even though James Newton Howard did not uh compose splitter glass, they use his unbreakable theme. yes Wonderful. Um, and then I think actually on every single movie. Uh, Douglas Abel has been his casting director Mm -hmm. and I love that I think a director and a casting director having a 20 year long relationship is beautiful and I think it's excellent I think that Douglas Abel as a casting director has done some incredible work with finding as we've said these these men who you would never expect these performances out of Mm -hmm. uh, these fucking children the best child actors I've ever seen like yeah Oh my God. And actually, especially in old, um, some of the children to adult casting is utterly fantastic. Yes. Always a very difficult needle to thread. Um, just really impressive. And I, I love the idea of him and, and Douglas collaborating for all these years um, on finding these these actors who can give these really incredible performances. I just really love it. I think it, it speaks to everything we've already said about his films. I completely agree. Woo! What a journey!
1: <laughs> what a journey! So that was the Shyamalan thought. I know that we were supposed to do our hundred and first episode next, but we we got distracted. We wanted again, to do this. <laughs> we wanted to see old, and then we wanted to watch all the Shyamalan movies before seeing old, and then we realized that we should probably talk about them, yeah. on the podcast. So thank you for indulging this. If you have, I hope that we have uh, either shared in a celebration of Shyamalan's work with you, or maybe convinced you to give him another shot, or somewhere in between, yeah, because our our open-hearted enthusiasm for his work is not uh, not what I expected this to be. No. A week but ago. I'm so
0: happy that it's not just us. This is, like, happening on the internet right now. I think the kind of yeah. the, sh- the shyamalan if I can... Incredible. <laughs> I think that it's happening, and I'm very excited about it. I think a week ago we were kind of like, okay, everyone. Calm down a little bit. Get over it. But now I'm like, no, no. no. Talk about it more. <laughs> what if I yes. just turned my Twitter into a Shyamalan Twitter, Uh Shyamalan on Twitter forever? So, um... Yeah, it's been really. I'm. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I feel like we're doing this a lot lately, where it's like, Saw. How stupid is that? Wait a second. We love Saw. And my like Shyamalan. Who cares? Now we're Stands. <laughs> like, it's. I think there's a lot of um letting go of cynicism that I'm really excited to do in 2021. It
1: feels nice. 2021's all about earnestness. Yeah, I'll take it. I love it. All right. Until next time, everybody.
0: Stay spooky. Stay
1: spooky.